A preacher preaches to your heart. A teacher talks to your head. A teacher would try to reach your mind. A preacher would try to reach you at the emotional level. A teacher would try to change your opinion. A preacher would try to transform your life. It's a big job. And no one stands before you ever feeling adequate for the job. The sermon this morning is going to be a real trip. I mean it, a trip. We're going to visit the stars. We're going to approach the glory of God. We're going to pass by the glory of man. How's that for an exciting cruise? It all starts in Psalm 8. So let's go there first. Like, open your Bibles, please. Or, you know, that's what we used to say, open your Bibles, please. And now we say, fire up your iPad or your iPhone or your tablet or your smartphone. You feel like an electrician making an announcement. Psalm 8. It's brief, but just listen to this. Lord, our Lord. How majestic is your name in all the earth. You've set your glory in the heavens. Through the praise of children and infants, you've established a stronghold against your enemies to silence the foe foe and the avenger. When I consider your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars which you have set in place, what is mankind that you are mindful of them, human beings that you care for them? You've made than the angels and crowned them with glory and honor. You've made them rulers over the works of your hands. You put everything under their feet, all flocks and herds, the animals of the wild, the birds in the sky, the fish in the sea, all that swim the paths of the seas. Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. That is magnificent scripture. The words themselves are majestic, let alone the God that they describe. It's pretty easy to get carried away, and it's also pretty easy to get lost, because every single verse, every single word almost, is amazing. Let's see here. When I consider your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars which you have set in place. In other words... The entire universe is the work of God's fingers, a trifle, in a single day. Not one of his days, to be sure, but still just one, only with his fingers. Now, reading that, the logical question that I have for myself and for you is, how big is your God? Bigger than your problems? Bigger than your needs, bigger than politics, bigger than the international turmoil that we face. Come on, let's be honest with each other. How big is your God? If we worship a God this big, this powerful, this capable, then I hope you dropped your burden, whatever they are, when you walked in here. And I sure hope that you won't pick up your burdens when you walk back out. Again, how 
big is your God? How big? Well, let's take a look, just you and me. Let's try to grasp the sheer immensity of God. How about we count the stars? Can't be that difficult. Let's see here. Ever wondered how many stars there are? You know, you look up at night, you get away from the city lights a little bit. With your naked eye, you can see a couple of thousand stars on a cloudless night. You buy a cheap telescope, you can see millions of stars if you, if you scan around. Counting them, a little tough. You know, you lose your place. You miss a few. You have to take a bathroom break, and when you come back outside, they shift it around a little bit, and you forgot where you were. And not only that, stars really aren't just scattered around up there. They're gathered together in big groups, and we call them galaxies. Our Earth, our sun and moon, are in a galaxy called the Milky Way. Astronomers think there are about 100,000 million stars here with us in the Milky Way. Just the Milky Way. And there are millions and millions of other galaxies in the universe. So maybe we can narrow it down just a little bit. and Perhaps counting stars is like trying to count the grains of sand on a beach. How about that? Ever tried that? Now, it's nothing compared to stars, but let's give it a shot. I suppose you could measure the surface of a beach. It's a little tough because a lot of beaches are pretty big and long. But you could do it. Then you could determine the average depth of sand in the whole beach. And then you could take a small area of the beach and measure just the grains of sand in that small little area of the beach. Then if you could figure out what percentage that little area was, you could do a simple multiplication, and voila! You could multiply out and figure out how many total grains of sand there are on the beach. Might be close, nothing exact, no cigar, but closer than you were when you started. Now let's consider the stars. In the known universe, there are roughly 10 to the 11th power stars in our galaxy. Like I said, 100,000 million. Just the Milky Way. Unfortunately for our brains, there are 10 to the 11th or 10 to the 12th power galaxies besides ours. Ooh. Okay, so now what would our multiplication start to look like now? Well, with a simple calculation, which we could all do, you get something like 10 to the 22nd power to 10 to the 24th power, and that's a rough number. You know what? We can't even describe numbers that big, let alone comprehend them. We don't have numerical descriptions that go that high. Think about the federal government debt. Trillions? The word trillion doesn't even come close. Those types of numbers would be really give Washington, D.C. something to shoot for. Now, I could take the next several slides and fill them up with zeros, and it still wouldn't be enough. Now, of course, technology is exploding out there in space, just like it is Earth. The Hubble has a deep field image taken with optical wavelengths. 
it revealed whole new thick dust storms of stars. Herschel uses infrared wavelengths to reveal more stars than we ever knew before. Gaia will study the 1,000 million stars nearby, and let's not forget Hipparchus. It just pinpointed 100,000 stars with incredible high precision and over a million, a little less exactly. Are your eyes glazing over yet? How's that for a little bit of God's finger painting? Countless, countless stars, the work of his fingers. Again, I ask, how big is your God? That's the God of Psalm 8. That's the God who promised you everything. That's the God who will never leave you, never forsake you. Let me ask it in a different way. What are you worried about? Why are you worried about it? With a God like that watching over you, how could you possibly be worried about it? As an example, let me take just a second here to thank you for your prayers. For our wonderful son-in-law, Mark Losey, as most of you know, Mark was discovered to have a huge tumor in his abdomen, the size of two bricks stacked on each other, growing quickly, very likely cancerous. Mark is a wonderful husband and father, six children, three natural and three adopted, and at the time they were also taking care of three foster children, and nine. The whole family was concerned. Scared, actually. And then came the night when the whole family gathered together in the master bedroom to talk together and pray together and cry together. And Mark said something that only a strong Christian father would say. He said, don't worry, kids. God's got this. God's got this. What God did. The surgery was successful. So far, no complications. A few days later, the best possible news, the biopsy results showed no malignancy. It was downright joyous, absolutely joyous, miraculous. But you know what? No matter what the results would have been, no matter what the outcome would have been, Mark's statement was true. It is true. God did have it. God has it still. God always will have it. The God who hung the stars will always take care of everything. Now, of course, we're just starting our trip. We haven't really gotten started with this sermon. We're just counting stars. Our topics are two, the glory of God, and the glory, or the supposed glory, of man. So let's get to that. First, the glory of God. What is it exactly? We sing about it, we pray about it, but what is it? Well, God's glory is a big deal in Scripture. Unfortunately for us, it is almost impossible to describe. Oh, we can use words, But can you use words to accurately describe something 
that we can't even comprehend. So let's look, about, look at it this way. Think about a football. Here we go. Football. Suppose a European asks you to describe a football. The only football he knows is what we would call a soccer ball. So they ask, what is this thing in America you call a football? Well, it shouldn't be that hard. You say something like this. Well, it's a sort of an oval. It's made of leather. You inflate it so it gets hard. There's laces on it uh, to keep it tight. Uh, during a football game, you can throw it or catch it or try to run with it to score what we call a touchdown, while other people are trying to kill you. Now, the poor soul probably wouldn't understand the game, but it, he'd have a pretty fair idea of what's a football. Now, I want you to consider the word beauty. Beauty is a different kind of word. Because some words describe things we can communicate. We say them like football. But some things we try to communicate because we see them like beauty. Beauty is like that. We can point to beautiful things. Right now I'm pointing at a beautiful thing right there in the back row. I happen to be married to that beautiful thing. That's a hint, guys. You're supposed to be pointing to the woman next to you. Wife, daughter, come on, point. If we point often enough, we might have a pretty good idea of beauty. Now, try to put it into words. You know, writers get paid big bucks just to attempt to describe beauty, just to even come close to what it is. You can see it. But it's pretty hard to understand and describe. That's what it is with glory. Now, I'm going to try to describe it this morning, and it isn't going to be easy for me to do. And it might be easy for you to understand. First, what I would like to do is contrast glory and the word holy. We sing about them a lot. Do we really know what they are? And how are they different? The holiness of God, to me, is him being in a class all by himself. Perfect, great, worthy. So much so that God is completely separate, independent of us. Infinitely so. Infinitely perfect. Infinitely great. Infinitely worthy. His holiness is what he is. He's God, and there is no other. There is nothing better He can't be imitated. He can't be compared. Now, here's the dichotomy. Here's a little bit of thing to think about. Isaiah 6.3. The angels cry, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. And by the way, it's so important that, you know, three is the number of deity. Do you know that this is the only time in Scripture that God is described with three identical terms? Holy, holy, holy. It's because it's him, it's his essence. It's his great defining characteristic. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. And the next thing they say is, the whole earth is full of his, and you would expect them to say holiness. But they don't. They don't say holiness. They say the whole earth is full of his glory. 
Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. And the whole earth is full of his glory. And from that I gather the glory of God is the beauty of his holiness. It's going public about his holiness. It's putting his holiness on display. The glory of God, his holiness for all to see. And the more clearly you see God, the more glorious he is to you. Lord, our Lord, it says in Psalm 8, how majestic is your name in all the earth. But as Isaiah would add, the whole earth is filled with your glory. Now, do you want to see the glory of God? You already did this morning. The earth is a reflection of the glory of God, according to Scripture. His infinite beauty, his infinite greatness. The whole earth is full of his glory. He's shouting at you with it. You drove through it today to get here to church. Through it, God is yelling, I'm glorious. Open your eyes. I am what you see, only it's way better than anything that you see. The whole earth is full of his glory. If we had spiritual eyes right now in this room, we would all see the glory of God right here. We need eyes like that. We need eyes that really see. That's why Satan blinds unbelievers so they can't see the light of Jesus Christ in the gospel. It's why the saints of old were commended for concentrating and looking at and staring at things unseen. Faith is the evidence of things unseen. And the glory of God is the holiness for all to see. And that's as close as I can come, at least this morning, to describing the glory of God. It's quite a trip so far, huh? Now, number two. What about the glory of man? Well, first of all, the Bible never really says there's glory in man, really. It says we're crowned with glory, his glory. In fact, the original language in Psalm 8 could actually be translated, we're surrounded, you've surrounded him with glory, you've clothed him with glory. But again, it's his glory, not ours. I've always been interested in the fact that of all the creatures God made, they're all covered except man, except humans. Have you ever thought about that? Animals have fur, birds have feathers, fish have scales. We got nothing. Animals have skin, but they have fur. Fish have skin, but they have scales. Birds have skin, but they have feathers. Man has skin. Why? Well, because we didn't need a covering before the fall. Because God clothed man in his glory. Our simple nakedness, just our need for clothes, is yet another proof that the creation account is true. Look at verse 5, Psalm 8. You made him a little lower than the heavenly beings, crowned him or clothed him, with glory and honor. Talking about the creation of mankind here. Describing the creation of Adam. 
made in the very image of God, a perfect man, specifically designed for a perfect environment. The Garden of Eden was heaven on earth. There was no sin. Man walked with God every day. He had oneness with God. Well, who needs a cover in an atmosphere like that? The original Hebrew word is crowned here means encircle, to surround. Adam and, Adam and his wife Eve were surrounded by God's glory, clothed in it. So much so that they didn't even need natural knowledge. Have you ever thought about that? They didn't, they didn't need it. They didn't, know right, didn't need to know right from wrong. They didn't need to know good from bad. God gave them a wonderful environment, perfect, and that was all they needed. God was all they needed. But when they were disobeyed, when they disobeyed, when they were deceived, the glory of God didn't fit anymore. Have you ever noticed in Genesis that they were instantly afraid? Isn't that interesting? Afraid. See, I could see embarrassed. I could see that, but why afraid? Says they made coverings from themselves and hid from God. <clears throat> well, before the fall, they, they felt no shame about being naked. Now what? The sorry story is told in Genesis 3, verse 7. Then the eyes of both of them were opened. They realized that they were naked, so they sewed fig leaves together and made coverings for themselves. Again, why? Why coverings, really? They were the only human beings in the garden. All the animals were gentle. Everything around them was tame. There was no danger. But they were afraid because now they were naked before God because they had lost their God-given glory. And so they needed natural covering for protection, natural covering to survive. The first moment without God's glory meant death and fear. Now what? God made the very first sacrifice to clothe them. So the Lord God made garments of skin for Adam and his wife and clothed them. God spilled the blood of a lamb to provide a suitable covering for mankind's sin. Spiritual life is in the blood of that sacrifice. Our spiritual life is in the shed blood of Jesus Christ, covering us again with God's glory, washing away our sin, cleansing us from our shame. Jesus has done it all. The glory of God is right here, here this morning, yours for the taking. It's being freely offered to you, available right now. And for as much time as you've got left, it's available. It has been offered to you all your life, no matter how long you lived or how short. And it will be offered for the rest of your life. Will you take it? Will you accept the salvation that only God can provide and only Jesus can offer? Will you take on the glory of God? Will you take on the salvation that is yours because of the shed blood of Jesus Christ on the cross? Have you ever thought about this? Your need to place yourself under the sacrifice of Jesus Christ? 
If you haven't, would you please do it now? And remember, God isn't fussy. Remember, the stars are watching. Let's pray. Lord, you aren't fussy. You want everyone. It doesn't matter the past. It doesn't matter the sin. It doesn't matter the weakness or the shortcoming. It doesn't matter the years of unbelief. It doesn't matter the disobedience, the bad habits, the problems, the issues, the friendlessness. It doesn't matter. You want everybody. You love everybody. It's a reflection of your glory, the forgiveness that you offer, the grace that you provide, the love that you, that you, that you share. Lord, I pray that no one in this room or ever hearing this message would ever leave without knowing for a fact that God loves them, that he is their Savior, and that he will meet their every need. Lord, I thank you for the glory of God, which you so lovingly share with us through your Son, Jesus Christ. We pray in his name. Amen.